This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. All right, Grown Up Rock listeners, this week, in addition to our regular episode, we are bringing you a bonus episode. You might be wondering, so why am I forced to sit here in a room looking at four walls and talking to myself because my co-host, Hollywood Pooney, is off doing one of his many, many guest appearances at another podcast. And it's all well and fine because while he was gone, I took time out to go check out a concert bought to us by our friends at Scully Entertainment. He bought Sebastian Bach to one of the local clubs here in town. And I figured, hey, what better to do on a weeknight but head down to a club and check out a little Sebastian Bach with a little Skid Row music thrown in. It's fantastic. Had a great time. But I was also there to check out the opening act. So one of the opening acts was One Bad Son. And I saw them. They were pretty decent. Uh, just straight ahead, hard rock band. Not bad. But I was there to see the middle act, which was a gentleman named Monty Pittman. If you're not familiar with Monty Pittman, Monty is a guitar player that played in prong met up with Tommy Victor and became a member of Prong. So if you recall Prong, Prong was a pretty killer heavy band from the 90s. They were awesome. He played with them, but Monty also, longtime guitarist for Madonna. He's been with Madonna for 18 years now. And you might be asking yourself, well, (laughs) what does Madonna's guitarist have to do with hard rock and metal and Sebastian Bach? Well, so... He has nothing to do with Sebastian Bach other than the fact that he was on tour with Sebastian opening up. But Monty has a few albums out on Metal Blade Records. So the guy knows his rock and roll, knows his metal. He just recently released two albums at the same time. One of them, which is a kind of a heavy acoustic record called Better or Worse, and then a very heavy record called Between the Space. Now, in addition to that, he has inverted grasp of balance and the power of three. And these are all heavy, hard-rocking records. Great melodies, just straight-ahead, double-kick drum, heavy guitars. I mean, they're really really rocking records. Uh, So do yourself a favor and go check out some of the stuff by Monty Pittman. But I figured Monty might have a fun grown-up rock story to share. So I wanted to catch up with Monty, get the information on the recording of his latest records, also kind of hear a little bit about how he became the guitar player for Madonna. We talked a little bit about that. We talked a little bit about his growing up around rock and roll, how he first got into hard rock and metal. And we just had a generally a great time. Now, we recorded this conversation across the street from the venue outside. So we're literally like in a park outside. So at times you may hear, you know, a car honking or a motorcycle riding by. Overall, it sounds great. Don't worry about the audio one bit. You know I like to bring the audio quality to you guys as best I can. 
So we had a good time. We had a great conversation. I'll fill in a little bit of the gap with some of Monty's music, which is fantastic. Hopefully you'll dig that and go seek Monty out at all his outlets. We'll also tie in any of the stuff to the show notes, but just overall a great conversation with Monty Pittman concert wise. So it's amazing. He has two other guys in his band, a bass player and a drummer. And for the three of them, Monty does all the singing for the three of them. They just produced this amazing wall of sound. I mean, huge wall of sound. And they play song selections off Inverted Grasp of Balance, The Power of Three, the newest records Between the Space, even the acoustic record, Better or Worse. So it's really a great time. One Bad Son, like I said, was not a bad. They're straight ahead hard rock band. They were pretty good. I went and checked out some of their stuff on Spotify. I enjoyed it. But then Monty came on. He did about 40, 45 minutes after the conversation we had, and it was just straight ahead. Killer, killer music. Killer show. Three of them produced a wall of sound. It was amazing. And then it was time for Sebastian Bach to come on. I was looking forward to Sebastian Bach as well because I haven't seen him in quite some time. Last time I saw him, he was really good. He sounded great the last time I saw him. So I was excited to see him. I'm a huge Skid Row fan. I even like Sebastian's solo stuff. He did some really good solo stuff. Really good, uh, solid rock band behind him. So I wanted to see him. And he came out. You opened up with Slave to the Grind, always a favor. I mean, that that song is the quintessential opening song to a concert. I mean, that just sounds so freaking good. So uh, check that out. Enjoyed the show. There were a couple points in the show where, listen, I've never seen somebody pay so close attention to a monitor guy in all my life than Sebastian. Sebastian literally had to have visual contact with his monitor guy for the entire show. And the place that they were playing at was this really small club. So there's nowhere to put a monitor guy on stage like you would see at a lot of bigger venues or bigger concerts. The monitor guy had to kind of sit off to the side across this walkway that went to and from the bathrooms and so you had patrons kind of coming and going to the bathrooms in between the set alongside the stage and in between the monitor mix and there were several times where Sebastian pulled a Sebastian and just got really irritated and it's like you know fuck this fuck that that kind of thing and just really I would have figured that maybe at 50 plus years old the guy would have kind of like maybe just settled down a bit, mellowed out a little bit, but apparently not. And it's just, it's very, I don't know how to say it any better, but it's kind of like if I paid a ticket to see this guy and he's hollering at me because there's nowhere else to stand, the show is sold out, by the way. There's nowhere else to stand. The guy's yelling at me, hey, you motherfucker, move. I would have been a little bit pissed. Uh, I'll be honest about it, right? Because I'm spending my money to come see you. And you're going to sit there and and holler and cry like a baby and call me a motherfucker in front of people. I'm going to be a little bit pissed. But, you know, hey, this guy did what he could to move. And uh, the club finally got him out of the way. And he went on about his business. But 
uh, just really kind of childish behavior in my opinion. Uh, sometimes I understand completely where the guys in Skid Row are coming from if they don't want to be on stage with somebody like this anymore. They don't want to travel with somebody like this. I- I'm almost kind of understanding that standpoint a little bit. But anyway, he came out. He did his show. He played for a good, solid you know, hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes, played a bunch of Skid Row classics. One of the things that he did that I thought was really awesome was the threat off Slave to the Grind. Really enjoyed that. He also reminded me, by playing some of the stuff off of Angel Down, he also reminded me about how cool some of that material is. So got me interested. I wanted to go back and re-listen to some of those records, which are really good as well. But like I said... I was there to see Monty Pittman. Monty put on a great show. Definitely seek out Monty's music. Give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. If you like the heavier side of stuff, uh, then you'll definitely dig it. He sings. You can understand all the words. So it's no, there's no cookie monster vocals involved. None of that stuff. His band was great. His drummer, his, his, uh, bass player, all amazing players and just, you know, solid, solid rock and roll. Uh, so hopefully you guys will enjoy this bonus episode, my interview with Monty Pittman. Check it out, and that's it. We'll have another episode for you guys next week, and hopefully these bonus episodes will give you a little extra something to listen to during the holidays if you're traveling or if you're cleaning house and getting ready for all your guests. Check it out. Our interview with Monty Pittman, baby. Enjoy. This is Monty Pittman. You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with Stephen and Hollywood. Crank it up.
So we like to start out by trying to drill down into your earliest musical memories and find out what was it that hooked you as a kid in music. What are your earliest memories around music when you were growing up? You were born in 75, so you grew up around maybe the 90s, early 90s? Yeah, I, I was I was born in 75, and uh, I always would sneak into my sister's room and listen to her Kiss records. So that's where it started for me. I was one of those kids uh, listening to Kiss and standing on her bed. I had a little toy guitar with rubber bands for strings because I would always break them. And pretending I was Ace Frehley. That's where it all started. And then there was just a, an amazing progression of music. And I look at it as really like the most perfect time to be born because when i was a little kid you know you know kiss was still together and i had those records i had that experience but then you start getting into you know like motley Crue and those kind of bands and then that turned into when metallica slayer anthrax testament those bands came out and also guitar players like steve vai joe satriani and that's when I got my first guitar when I was 13. So, you know, right at the end of the 80s. So I got to see all of that in that transition. And it was a perfect time to start learning how to play guitar because it, that kind of music was fun to play. Right. It was challenging. And I mean, it's still challenging. And then in the 90s, when all that hit, then, then you had the grunge bands and the death metal bands. There was a whole new you know, way of, of making music or it, now you look at it and it, it's all rock and roll, but then that just seems so much different. Like when Nirvana came out, when the smells like teen spirit video came out and see where I, where I grew up, there was no MTV. Really? It, it wasn't allowed in wow. town. In, down in Texas, Longview, yeah. right? Yeah. So my singer would go up, I had a band. I started my first band when I was 14 and the singer would go up to Dallas and he would just, well, all the guys, other guys in the band, if they would go out of town, like somewhere out of town, they would just take a VHS tape and just put it in and, and just hit record. So then bring it home and then we could watch all these videos. Wow. And so I remember when, when my friend Chris said, here, you've got to see this. And he drove over to my house. He came over to the house just to show me the smells like teen spirit video. And, and then you're like, whoa. <laughs> and the next day you go to school, just like, you know something that no one else knows. Right. Like, oh, just wait. Also, Pantera were the kind of the, they were the local hometown hero band. Right. Were they, they were still glam at that point, right? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I was too young to see them, but I always heard about them. Yeah. And I would see like my cousin's friend, my cousin, Jimmy, he always played in a band. And so that's one of the first times I got to actually see musicians play together, to see a band play. And his guitar player, Frank, was always wearing a, a Pantera shirt, either like an I Am The Night shirt or a Project In The Jungle shirt. Right. And so that's when I would first hear Pantera because they were a local hometown hero band. So how did you get your music then in a town like that? I mean, was there FM radio? Was there, did they have a record store? Yeah, they, they, there was a record store. So you would go in and... And you would just kind of either you someone else would have a, a tape and you would hear mm -hmm. that. And so you'd want to get that same album. Right. Or you would just kind of get something you know, you'd save up money and you'd want to get something new and you would kind of judge it off of the album cover. Your sister was a metalhead then? She had Kiss albums? Yes. Awesome. And so she turned you on to a lot of that stuff and you took to it right away. Were your parents also musicians? No, they weren't musicians, but my mom has always had a, a great taste in music. I, I, mean, I remember being a little kid, her, always hearing stuff that she would be listening to, like gypsy jazz and 
classical and a lot of weird stuff that I still to this day don't really know what it is. Yeah. And then I remember uh, we always had in our truck, you know, there was a tape player because not all the cars we had had tape players yet. But uh, I remember we had the Quiet Riot Condition Critical Tape, the Kiss Dynasty Tape, and Ozzy Diary of a Madman had those tapes. So that was all, you know, we would listen to that a lot. That's not a bad trio. But yeah, my sister had her own kind of collection of stuff. And I remember, you know, the first Van Halen tape, it always smelled so good. Yeah. I always loved the smell of that tape. Did that blow your mind, the first Van Halen record? Not like it does now. Yeah. I didn't hear it that way as a kid. It, when you're a little kid listening, it's just music. It's just songs. Right. You think more about like the melody or something that you can sing back. Right. Monty, for listeners that aren't that familiar with you and your work, just real quick, let's kind of catch up, people. You were in Prong at one point in time, right? You played on a couple records. You played on a tour. You're still friends with those guys today. Oh, yeah. Your most notable thing is your madonna's guitar player for what going on 18 years yeah, now at 18 this point. years now but what a lot of people don't know is that you're a metalhead and you're putting out great albums full of hard rock and metal music thank you you just released an side by side an acoustic record and a heavy record between the space and that's the heavy album that's the heavy album and then better or worst which is the acoustic record right the acoustic record is, I've heard you describe it as kind of a heavy acoustic, and it reminds me a little bit, are you familiar at all with uh, Days of the New? I am, yes. They put out acoustic record, but they were kind of, they were classified as a hard rock band, but it was all acoustic, and so it was kind of a heavy acoustic record. Right, yeah. And so some of the stuff that's on that is, reminds me a little bit of that type of feel, of that type of vibe. We're going to talk about these new records and get into those because I want to ask you a few things about those, but I'd be crazy if I didn't ask you some things that were on the docket for Madonna. Okay. I got to ask you about that. So tell me, because I've heard you tell it, but the listeners probably haven't, tell me the story about how you came to be Madonna's guitar player. Well, I moved from Texas to LA at the very end of 99, beginning of 2000, and I worked at a music store so I could meet the most musicians that I could meet. And because that's why I moved was either join a band, start a band, bring my band there. There was no there was no set idea what could happen. I just wanted to work as a musician. And I, I've sucked at selling guitars and people would come in looking for guitar teachers. So that's what I used to do in Texas as an apprentice to my teacher. And I started teaching on my own right before I moved. So I started teaching when I was in Hollywood, and you would think that there would be all of these guitar teachers, but there were none. And a customer would come in and say, hey, do you guys know of any guitar teachers? And you'd get, you'd, I'd have to ask somebody like, hey, who do we re- recommend as a guitar teacher? So they'd say, here, give them this guy's number, give them this guy's number. Well, a couple of weeks later, those guys would come back like, dude, do you have anybody else? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to learn Unskinny Bot from Poison again. Right. Like, that's all. <laughs> and so I started teaching. And then I was going to either quit the store and I was either going to start teaching. And if that didn't take off, maybe move to Austin and try things there. Mm-hmm. But I was playing in prong already. Right. And so I lived in Redondo Beach. I would drive to Hollywood to work. When I was when I got off work, I would drive to Burbank up near the airport to practice the prong until three in the morning. So I like, never slept. Right. And if you know L.A., that's a whole, you know, that's the stretch of the entire city. Right. 
So uh, my third student, this guy calls and he says, hey, I need to get lessons for my boss. That's all he said. Mm -hmm. And so I go to his boss's house to give him a lesson. And I drive in and Madonna is sitting there pregnant with her daughter. Not pregnant with her daughter. She was sitting with her daughter, and she was pregnant with her her son. So, what did what did you think when you drove up to a place like this? Because I'm imagining the whole security gate and everything else. Yeah, well, that's kind of common there. You yeah, know? you see a lot of places like that. And uh, when I see her there, I'm just like, okay, what am I getting myself into? Did you know instantaneously that that was her? Did you recognize mm-hmm. oh, her? Yeah. Like, I mean, I saw her like, okay, there's Madonna, <laughs> but that that wasn't uncommon there. Yeah, like working. In a music store in Hollywood, people would come in all the time. Uh-huh. One time I helped David Carradine. He was barefoot. He didn't have any shoes on. He's barefoot. And I helped him with strings. Right. Like things like that. Right. One time Jonathan Davis from Corn, when Corn were just massive, yeah. came in and bought like, you know, tons of, you know, bands would come in and get like, you know, tons of stuff to, for tours imagine. and stuff like that. So you see people all the time. And all of this, there's no guitar teachers in Hollywood. Do you think yeah. that is because they were all busy trying to do the hustle, trying to get their own thing? I don't know. I mean, I think maybe if you were to go there, you would go to, if you were to go to MI, that's like you're sure. going to college. Right. So that's not something someone would do for guitar lessons. And I, I don't really know. I don't know. It may have just been the right place at the right time when other people had moved off. I have no yeah, idea. A gap in the market. I know Ted Green used to teach. You know who Ted Green was? This amazing guitar player. And I tried to take lessons from him. <laughs> and I called him and I got to talk to him on the phone. And I was like, hey, you know, I want to, can I, can I take some lessons from you? He's like, what do you do? And, and this is actually when Madonna, I was starting with Madonna. I just wanted to get better. Uh huh. And I told him, and I, and I was like, so, you know, can I have to take lessons? And he goes, no, I'm not interested in hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Anyway, uh, so Madonna was dating Guy Ritchie at the time, and I was there to teach Guy. Mm-hmm. That's the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. So then Guy started having me over at the house like at least two, sometimes three times a week. He had surgery on his knees. So he was off his feet. Okay. So he just wanted, and Madonna had got him a guitar for his birthday. So he wanted to learn how to play it. And he already played a little bit. So then Madonna and I became friends that way. Mm-hmm. There was no like, oh my God, you're Madonna. I didn't actually know that much about her other than that she was Madonna. Really? Okay. She hadn't done anything in seven years that was, oh, well, okay, well, not that she hadn't done anything. She hadn't toured in seven years. Mm-hmm. She'd put out Ray of Light. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had done Evita, like, you know, that, two of the biggest things she's done. But it wasn't something that I paid a lot of attention to at that time. Right. So then Guy got her a guitar. I started giving her guitar lessons, and I figured I would give her... He got her guitar lessons for her birthday, so I figured I would start... And it was a few weeks after her birthday that she even took them. So I thought, okay, well, sure, he just... You know, maybe she'll never take them or something. And then I, when I was over at the house, they were like, hey, Madonna wants to start taking, so can you come over Tuesday at, you know, a couple Who's hours like earlier? Or whatever it was. Or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so then I figured she would take one lesson, and that was it. And then... They, you know, her assistant said, that, you know, she, she loved it. Can you come over like so, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? Always the communication in between like assistants and stuff, huh? Most of the time. Yeah. 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 And then, and so I started teaching her a month after I started teaching her, she was going to go on David Letterman and she said, Hey, you want to come, you want to come play with me? Um, let's come with me and we're, we're going to do my new single. So we did that. I saw that you watching her the whole time and she looked nervous as shit trying to play the guitar. Yeah, I, I think just because I was teaching, so I would kind of like, you know, just to kind of be there to kind of help in case 
I thought it sounded good. She'd only been playing for a month. Think about imagine if you were playing or or any anybody doing anything right for a month and then going on TV with that sort of reputation. Yeah, you know, being being that massive as an entertainer or just a, a yeah. personality. I could have never done it. I'll tell you that right now. I can't. And people, you know, there's Madonna fans who tell me to this day that's one of their favorite things they've seen her do. Right. You know, because it would just so, she just put herself out there. And at that point, people hadn't really seen that. Did she take to the guitar fairly well? Yeah, she she loves playing guitar. And so then she was going to go on her first tour in seven years. And she she said, hey, do you, do you want to come play guitar for me? And so I said, yes. And then I figured maybe <laughs> that would be that. And then I'm still there. Now, are you the, I heard somebody say, now you're the musical director? In the no, band? no, no, no. There's, okay. there's a musical director. I mean, I'm always there to help. Everybody has input. Everybody's involved. But right. no, Kevin is her musical director. Uh, and yeah, that's that's a different job. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know if I would want that job. That's question. That is a lot of work. Yeah, because that was going to be my question is like, what does that involve? You're running the entire show and you're the one taking all the notes. Yeah. <laughs> and then he distributes all the notes to everyone. Do you ever get to like chime in on set list or oh, any yes. of that type of stuff? Does yeah. she? Yeah. I mean, that's she. Uh, we had these guys, they're called the Calican Trio. They're from the Bosque country. Mm-hmm. And I use this as my example of that is when they first got there, like their first day, they were like, do we need to leave the room when she comes in or do we just, you know, be quiet? I'm like, no, that you're here because she loves what you do. So she wants, she's going to want your input. Mm-hmm. She's one of those people that, like somewhere on the tour, she always calls everybody together and thanks everyone from the wardrobe people to catering, hair and makeup. That production couldn't exist without everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a she, massive She tries thing. to make everybody feel included. If there's a party, everyone's, in, you know, everybody has to go to the party. It's like you hear about it if you didn't show up. Like, why didn't you go to this party? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And I, I've heard of other artists who don't do it. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! You guys get to go to the parties with her, and I was like, "Man, if you don't show up, it's your ass." Wow. Okay. What uh, does she uh, keep you guys on retainer when she's not on tour? Is there no. any of that? No. no. I wish. No, you wish. Yeah. Sometimes, huh? Uh, well, so have you? Have you given her kids uh, guitar lessons or anything like that? Then. Yeah, I've given them some. Yeah. Who? Cool. Well, let's talk about your new albums, man. Yes. So, so what was the process? You recorded everything yourself for the records, right? Right. So I can imagine that the process for the full-on electric balls-out record was a lot different than the acoustic recording. For the acoustic recording, did you just set up a mic, push a button, and was it one, one two takes? Or I wish it was that simple. Okay. For the acoustic album, that was... Uh, you know, well, I'll just say the luxury of it is I could work whenever I wanted to work. If I felt inspired, I could I could just start recording. And that's why I'm really happy with the, you know, the takes of what I've got more than anything else I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Like Have Faith, Better or Worse, those songs were me. So I didn't make any demos of this. I just said, OK, now I'm going to start laying this down. And so I set up the mics and I got all the sounds, you know, how I wanted it. You have a home studio or did you do this in yeah, the actual no, no, studio? Yeah, no, no, no. I got a home studio. Awesome. And I mean, nowadays, I mean, yeah, I've got everything that I would need. Sure. Um, I don't think if I had this perfect, you know, it'd be great if I had this really nice board and all these things. But sure. It, you don't need it <laughs> some anymore. Some people say it doesn't sell any more albums. Dude, let me just, <laughs> let me just tell you this. Your records sound fantastic. 
that right there ends the only discussion that needs to be had. Whatever you got at your house works perfect because yeah. the records sound great. Thank you, because I can just get it exactly how I want it. You don't always have that in the studio. Yeah. Actually, I don't think I've ever really had that in a studio unless when I'm like working like with Fleming Rasmussen. When I did The Power of Three with Fleming Rasmussen, we were there in the studio, and he... I'm like, here's my amps. Now you you hook them up and do what, whatever you did on Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. So I could work whenever I wanted to. Same with vocals. Is I did a couple of shows. I played on like a Friday and Saturday, and I got home Sunday. And that night, I set up and I started doing vocals. Then I just did vocals every day until I was done. Mm-hmm. So that way, I sounded like what I'm going to sound like live. Yeah. Like after you've played shows over and over again before, if you're in the studio, let's say I have studio time booked in a couple of weeks, then I'll go in and that's it. I may not feel like it. It's a hell of a lot more expensive too. Yes. But I, so there's times I've done that and I just, I don't feel like recording. Yeah, sure. Or maybe I'll feel like playing guitar, but it's time to do vocals or something like that. Right. You can pick and choose what you feel like on that particular day and yeah. it's your own schedule. I can see where that's completely beneficial. Now, when you write, when you're preparing an acoustic album versus an electric album, when you're writing, do you come up with something and go, well, this is going to sound better electric or it's going to sound better acoustic? Or, I mean, uh, where does the writing process start uh, with you? Does it start with the riff? Does it start in your head? Does it start on your iPhone? Where does it, where does it start? Yeah, usually... Well, on these albums, I would if I wrote something on the acoustic, it would be acoustic. If our on the he- all the heavy stuff was written on the electric, but on the Power of Three, that album, all, most of that was written on an acoustic, and then Inverted Grasp of Balance was all done on you know that, that Power of Three is heavy, so it doesn't you know it doesn't matter I guess whether you write it on acoustic or electric, it's it right. comes across and i think you know inverted grasp of balance is even heavier but that was all written on an acoustic and on that album i, I mean i'm sorry uh, inverted was all done written on electric everything except for new blood keeps us alive because that starts out you know acoustic and that album i did all the guitars myself jay rustin did the vocals and then you know he mixed it all and richard christie did his own drums to that and then jay rustin um recorded Billy Sheehan's bass parts.
awesome. When you're writing, I heard you uh, make the phrase that when you're writing material, oftentimes you think about the live set, how it's going to come into the live set. So can you expand on that a little bit? What does that really mean? Yeah, well, let's say you have your set list and songs that you need. You know, when I write, I'm just thinking like, okay, what would I need to just additional songs to go in the set list? Mm -hmm. And one great thing where I'm at right now, like at this point in time, is it's hard to decide which songs mm -hmm. like opening for sebastian bach here i've got 45 minutes so um you try to do something off of most of the albums definitely you know play material from the new albums and so next i'm thinking where would i go next after this and it would kind of like sum it all up on your next record yeah on the next album we'll kind of. of sum everything up that'll be album number seven yeah so it's kind of like what what sums everything up of where i've been and that's kind of how i keep thinking I, I think of every project or every new album every new thing i do do is starting over yeah was there a decision made by you or by slagle or by both of you guys to do two separate albums versus just like maybe a double album or an album with a ep attached to it or anything like that well that came from a conversation that we both had and he's like well you know he's like there's people who love your heavy stuff there's people who like your acoustic stuff mm -hmm. and there's people who like both there's people who like you know one or the other and i said what if I did two albums? Because I was going to be doing both. I was going to be doing this myself mm -hmm. at this point. And I said, well, yeah, because I've started drums on, I think maybe I started drums on Between the Space. And I said, you know, I could, what if I just did two albums? Right. What if I did one acoustic album, one heavy album? And I don't know if anyone's ever done that. And he had said, you mean like at two different times? I said, no, like let's release two albums on the same day. I've mm -hmm. got enough. He's like, you have enough material to do that. I said, yeah. He said, okay, sure. It was that simple. Yeah. The Foo Fighters, I want to say the Foo Fighters, didn't they do like a double album where one side was rocking and one side was kind of like yeah, I've mellow? Yeah, I've looked for it. I don't know which one it is. It but. wasn't acoustic. I I want to say In Your Honor was the, was the one, but I'm not sure. And it wasn't an acoustic yeah. versus But see, electric. that's a connected double album. These albums, they do mirror themselves, but they're kind of they're polar opposites. I wanted it to be where I could release them a year i could release them five years apart and it's just completely but i, but I wanted it to be on the same day because I, for me it's been kind of hard for people to understand what i'm doing because mm -hmm. i guess maybe not a lot of people will do this you know being it, it's my name it's, it's a solo i'm a solo artist right but i'm also a band and i do heavy music but I also do acoustic music and there's people who just like one or the other so the idea is to give everybody you know i, I want to you know have something for everybody yeah. and in this set so uh, the first song is the the first song the power of three and then the second song is the second song in inverted grasp of balance and the third song is the first song on between the space okay and then we do the third song on between the space then i do an acoustic song i do the first song on better or worse so you really do think about flow oh yes wow there's a lot of thought i mean there's other songs i wish i was doing but just the way those all flow together and you, you have a little bit of the sort of musicianship and then you have a little bit of the just, you know, you're just 
rocking, you know, just the songs. Do you put that much thought when you're actually sequencing a record? Do you put that much oh, thought into yes. it? Oh, yes. Everything has to have a flow. I think that's a lost art nowadays. I think people don't think about that. I used to always think about that when I was buying albums as a kid. I would always listen to the sequencing because that was really important to me. I mean, more than just if it's a concept record, right? I understand if it's a concept record, but even just a normal record, I would always think about the flow, you know? I always loved the first song off a record. Inverted Grasp of Balance is a good example of that. The more popular songs, well, it's hard to say because one person will like one song, the next person will come up and they'll like something completely different. So it's hard to say, which is a good thing. That's what I want. But Be Very Afraid and Skeleton Key on Inverted were, were kind of, I guess, the most, that's the ones I hear about the most. So you would think maybe put those up front on the album. Right. But to me, the flow just doesn't go. It didn't it didn't work that way. Right. Awesome. All right. Well, Monty, you've been awesome. I don't want to take too much of your time before we go. I got to get ready to rock, rock the and people roll. of uh, Georgia. Yeah. So uh, pick a song off of the new record to play uh, for the folks, and we'll play us out here. Well, what kind of stuff do they like? Do they like the heavy? See, here's where I they have like, something for everybody. They like the heavy stuff. You like the really heavy stuff? Do you like more like melody, more songs? I personally like the heavy melodic stuff. Okay. Well, I'll just put it to you this way. In Dallas... When we were there, they played Reverse Magnetism on the radio. Uh-huh. Uh, Don Jameson, who's a good friend of mine who I always listen to, he says, Ominous Hope. He goes, oh, that's your best song on the album. He goes, what, you're not playing that one? But then Jose from um, Liquid Metal has been playing Changing of the Guard. So, see, it's hard to... Uh, Slagle said Once Upon a Time was his favorite one, or Beguiling. I like so it's Equal hard. Temperament. Ah, see, there, it's the one I never hear. You know what? I never hear about that song. You know why I like it so much? Because of that heavy, fat riff at the beginning. Sounds so freaking good, man. That I just wanted a... Uh, I was going to call that song Los Angeles, but I just couldn't figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. So then on the Inverted album, I have California, and on this one, I have Los Angeles. But then as that segues as you, as you, or uh, just progresses, how you keep writing, yeah. then it, it became about being in L.A., like how it's so beautiful, but it's also so hard at the same time. And that's kind of what that's what that song is about. The equal temperament is balance, yeah. which is a theme that I always... It's just such you know, a go with. <laughs> yeah, it sounds so good. It's such a heavy riff, and uh, I that one uh, with the amount of time that I've been uh, spending with the records, just getting ready to you know talk what? Well, to you. That song gets the least amount of love that I hear about. Yeah. So let's let's go with Equal Temperament. All right, we're gonna play Equal Temperament. I'll tie uh, all your music and your website and everything into our show notes so that people can get a hold of you uh and reach out to you and yeah it's uh yeah i'm at monty Pittman everywhere awesome if you google me or whatever you know you can find just look you know with, for music uh metalbladerecords.com slash monty Pittman. that has everything there i have my website monty you have everything there Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, YouTube, wherever you listen to music. He's an easy guy to get a hold of. Yeah, and I, I teach guitar lessons, too, online. That's right. What is, before I let you go, what do you get? What's, what's the favorite thing you get out of teaching guitar lessons? Oh, I always, it keeps your sword sharp, so yeah. to speak. Well, I mean, the joy of seeing someone actually, the, the, of what you taught them, and then they get to do this. That is the best. Right. 
Um, but for me, you know, I'm always, I'm always fresh on all of my scales and cores. I'm always learning new songs that I wouldn't have learned how to play. Right. That kind of thing. You have to, you, you have to always be on it. You can't just sit there and rest. And there's a big difference in being able to play something really well and being able to teach someone that. Yeah. It's two different things. Yeah. I can't learn for shit. I can, <laughs> I can teach you. I can teach anybody. <laughs> That's one thing of that. That's my, what I'd say would be the best thing that I can do is, is teach. You have the heart of a teacher. That's my, if, if there was one thing that I could say that I was good at, teaching is, would be number one. Awesome. All right, Monty. Go rock All right. Georgia. Going to go rock Georgia. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thanks so much buddy. for having me. See ya. Okay.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock.